When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant right there. And Jerry's, well, she was just here a second ago, and she's pretty much here. She left so recently that she might as well still be here. So this is still Stuff You Should Know. (laughs) Yeah, true crime edition. We do these occasionally. I just dropped on my knees to thank the creator that you didn't say a dish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true crime edition. We do these sometimes uh, without getting uh, bandwagoning. We've kind of always done them here and there. Uh, And (laughs) hey, update. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll get a million emails between now and then, but the Chowchilla bus kidnapper, did you see, has been Mm -hmm. granted parole. Yeah, I did see that. So that was one of our recent true crime episodes, and we've had a few people write in, say the guy's looks like he, he's getting out. Yeah. The last one, right? The other two are out. Last one. Yeah. The main jerk with the, that had all the money. He was the main jerk, for sure. So, um, this is true crime, too, as you were saying. Yeah, probably won't be an update on this one. I don't think so. I suppose most- it's possible, but probably not. The most recent update was a movie from 2008 called Changeling. Not The Changeling, which is maybe the greatest horror movie ever made starring George C. Scott back in (laughs) 1980. Man, that's a good movie. This is a totally different kind of movie called Changeling. It starred Angelina Jolie. It was directed by Clint Eastwood. And I watched watched it last night, made it through the whole movie, and still (laughs) had an hour to go. Yeah. (laughs) It is pretty long. Um... It was okay. I thought it was it had a little bit of a movie of the week quality to it. <laughs> Definitely. Because uh, some of the acting was way over the top. Yeah. I, I mean, I give it medium. Like, I give it a two and a half thumbs out of five. Okay. I like that. What would that. you give it? You know, I would probably give it precisely the same amount of thumbs. Yeah. Like, it, it's watchable. It's engrossing and all that. But it's also hard to look past some of its flaws. Agreed. It's no no exit, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and there was some parts that like it's sort of hard to parse out the, you know, the dramatic license uh and the fictionalized aspects of it with the true mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And I even tried to look up some to see like, well, did this happen? Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was verified that it did, but then I was like, or is this person just writing from seeing this movie? The latter. Probably so. So, we might mention a few of those here and there. 
Yeah, because he did take a tremendous amount of license in just little details, nothing that ultimately changed the story, but, you know. Well, the ending. Important stuff. What, when he's reunited with his mom? No. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll point it out at the end. You'll have to stick around for that. That's Please do, because like I said, I, I split like before the end. I was like, I'm going to bed. I'm oh, he didn't rise to the very end? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, that was, I thought that was a joke about it. Seeming like I mean, I was joking. I, I would have been blown away if you'd been like, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, small things. So we'll get into it a little bit. And we'll just pick on Clint Eastwood from time to time for fun. Right. So what we're talking about is a, is a disappearance. Um, a very sad case of a, a famous disappearance that took place in 1928 in Los Angeles. Back when you could, like, pick oranges on any given street back there. It was still a, you can still do a that, weird town. <laughs> Is that true? Um, it was oh, a people weird have town. orange trees in their yard. Sure, but yeah. not everybody. Whereas they, they before, no gross. everybody. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. But it was trying to find its its feet, its purpose, its point. It was a freaky little town back then. Still is a freaky town, but <laughs> it was really freaky for some reason to me. Like the 1920s in Los Angeles is as weird as it gets for that city. And this was a this was it was during that time that this boy went missing, a, a nine year old named Walter Collins. And that in and of itself is extremely sad. But the different twists and turns in horrors of this case, and not necessarily horrors in the traditional true crime sense, right. although there were some of those. Oh, sure. But just bizarre horrors, things that just shouldn't have happened and, and that just compounded to the tragedy of this case. It makes it one of the most unique, I think, true crime cases in American history, if you ask me. Yeah, and uh, trigger warning, if uh, serious... Harmful gaslighting triggers you, then skip the episode or hold on to your hats because, oh boy, it's infuriating. Yes. All right. I guess we should start with uh, the simple fact that in March of 1928, a mother named Christine Collins uh, told her nine-year-old son he could go to the movies and gave him a dime uh, to go do so, and he disappeared. Or uh, she was called into work. And he disappeared from their home. If you're Clint Eastwood, just making stuff up. That's right. Uh, a little bit of backstory here. Um, she was a single mom in a sense that uh, her husband was in prison. Uh, Walter's father, Colin Sr., uh, whose real name, it turns out, was Walter Anson. Uh, she had married about 10 years prior to Walter Jr.'s disappearance and mm -hmm. did not know that he had a criminal background uh, or a different name now. And he was, in 1923, put in prison for uh, multiple armed robberies. And I believe the sentence was about five to ten years. Yeah, and I, I mean, <clears throat> like, that was just totally unbeknownst to her. She thought she had a good one, or at least a mediocre one, not an armed robber who was going to get sent to Folsom. I think, I think in 1928, Folsom. mediocre was about what you could shoot for. Sure. Um, so she, uh, was the sole breadwinner in the house. She was supporting their son by herself. Um, and this is just a generally unplanned life, but from all accounts, including Clint Eastwood's, um, she was a good, she was a good mom who was making her way and just kind of took, took the hand that was dealt to her and was making, making it work as best she could. Right. Uh, and a little more backstory to kind of color what was going on. Uh, in terms of the Los Angeles Police Department at the time, because mm -hmm. that figures in in a very key way here, is they had just, uh, right before his disappearance, had been recently fairly um, exposed slash embarrassed by 
another kidnapping case in December of 27 when a 12, uh, 12-year-old named Marion Parker was uh, a very prominent banker's daughter was kidnapped, held for ransom, and then when it came time to do the money exchange, he just dumped her uh, her body, her dead body on the lawn and was arrested and convicted of murder, which was a big black eye and stain on the LAPD's reputation. Yeah, it was a, like her her case, I mean, like we bring it up just to kind of set the tone, like this happened and was in all the papers, it was a huge piece of news in Los Angeles, like just a month or two before. Um but also, like, if you, it's a really, if you're into true crime, like, that case is really heartrending. It's really yeah. awful, too, in and of itself. But, of course, you can imagine that um, Marion Parker's case is, you know, front and center on Christine Collins' mind that when too. she realizes that Walter has not come home from the from the movies. Yeah, so it's sort of a double whammy. It's it's on every parent's mind, and the LAPD is got mud on their face, or egg, or muddy yeah. egg. Plus, also, they seem to be widely considered an extremely corrupt, but then also just as bad, if no, just as bad, almost as bad, incompetent. I guess if you have a police force that is well-meaning but incompetent, like maybe the Keystone cops or something, it's hard to get mad at them all the time. Yeah. But if they're corrupt and incompetent, like that's about as bad a combination you can ask for in a police force. Yeah, no, an incompetent police force is only funny in slapstick comedies. Right. It's not funny in real life. No. But, but yeah, no, not at all. It's funny on the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, ultimately was Barney incompetent? Like, he would mm. drop his gun and stuff, but he always got the <laughs> bad guy, didn't he? That's pretty funny. He'd drop his gun and stuff, but is that really incompetent? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, if the if the if it all turned out well in the end is all I'm saying. You know, the right. end justifies the incompetence. Because all it's going to do is drop and go off and shoot the dinner bell, and Aunt B's going to go, dinner already? <laughs> right. Dinner happens early, and the criminal sits down to dinner with the family. Nothing like an Andy Griffith Show reference to just keep us popular with the kids. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right. Where are we? Please stop. I can't I know. I'm sorry. Torment. Uh, we are, Chuck, to answer your question. Um at about the point where Christine has just realized that Walter is missing. That's right. Which is a terrible point to be at. It is. She goes to the cops. Uh, I'm not sure if this happened in real life, but in the movie, there was a 24-hour wait period before they would do anything uh, because kids usually come home. And I think that has been the case historically in a lot of missing uh, persons cases, right? They, they'll delay it for a minute. Yeah. You know, I wondered, though, how um, – what an anachronism that is in the movie. I don't yeah. know if that was like something that came later or whatever, right. but that's like the first thing Angelina Jolie is told when she calls the cops that you got to wait 24 hours. Whether that happened or not, the Los Angeles Times had an article about the case back in 1999, and they said that the LAPD mounted a national search. It was a big deal. So whether it started 24 hours or later or whatever— there was, like, a big search for Walter. It wasn't just, like, you know, whatever. At some point, it picked up and became a legitimate, like, missing child case. Yeah. Um, there were a few tips. Uh, one of the best ones was from a gas station worker in Glendale. Said they saw uh, someone who looked like Walter in the back of a car hiding under some newspapers. Right, uh, right. But only his face wasn't covered. So it was, like, the worst covering job of all time. 
the worst covering job, or the kid managed to wriggle out or something. Okay, well, yeah, I guess that could be the case, too. But the driver was described as Italian-looking, and then there was another report of a, quote, foreign-looking, end quote, couple Mm. uh, roaming Walter's neighborhood looking suspicious in the days before the disappearance. So the first, you know, posters that were put up by the cops said to be on the lookout for a middle-aged Italian man and a very small woman. Yeah, so, and Walter's dad said, hey, hey, I don't want to be left out of this. I want to contribute. What if it's one of the enemies I've made here in Mm -hmm. prison? Apparently, he worked in the kitchen, and part of his responsibility was snitching on other prisoners. I guess that kind of came with kitchen duty. Um, So, he he was like, of course, I've made some enemies here or there. Maybe it's one of them exacting revenge. That apparently was a lead that the police followed, but it didn't go anywhere. So, Walter Sr. can go step back out for a little while of the picture. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of stymieing at this point because they didn't have money. So, it wasn't a clear case of ransom like it was with the the wealthy banker. Right. Uh, So, I don't know if that's better or worse for a parent uh, to have money and think it's probably a ransom situation. Uh, It seems like it's probably more distressing in this case uh, because your child is just gone and, like, what could they possibly want in return? Yeah, Um yeah, so, but also I could see it giving you hope, too, that maybe he's just missing, maybe he ran away yeah, or something exactly. like that. But that the reports of that couple and then from the gas station attendant, too, certainly didn't help ease any concerns that he had been kidnapped for one reason or another. And that seems to be the premise that everybody was moving on, that he wasn't just missing, he hadn't just run away. Um, and if Angelina Jolie is to be believed— um, his mother would have known that he he wouldn't have just run away, that he he would have had to have been taken against his will. Right. So they've, uh, I think about five months go by, uh, no more big leads, no clues, no um, forward movement of the case, really. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and it's a very dramatic moment in the film, obviously, uh, they call up Christine and said, we found your son. He's in Illinois. Uh, DeKalb, Illinois, uh, he's doing fine. Uh, all you got to do is, is scrape together the money to pay for him to come back. When I was like, really? And that mm-hmm. was actually true. Mm-hmm. And they were reunited. Uh, it, Dave Roos, who helped put us together, said it was in a, a juvenile hall. But in the movie, it's uh, by a train at a train station because that looks great on film. It does. Yeah, the That's but my train. what happens, Josh? Um, something really terrible happened in the film and in real life. Um, when Christine Collins saw, uh, her son, she said, that's not my son. Yeah. That's someone else. I don't, I don't know who that is, but I I think the quote was, I don't think that's my son. And here's where the gaslighting begins, by the way. Yeah. So the villain, one of the villains, but, um, yeah, one of the villains of the story is a, a guy named J.J. Jones. He was a police captain with the LAPD, and he was in charge of the juvenile crimes unit. So he had this missing persons case of Walter on his hands. So he was there presiding over this reunion because, um, you know, the LAPD could use the good press, and it was a happy story. It was a huge story, and this was definitely more of a feather in the cap for the LAPD versus a black eye for the LAPD, like the Miriam Parker case was. Um, So, of course, they wanted to play it up. So, it did not settle well with Captain J.J. Jones that the mother of this boy, who was supposed to be happy and crying and and thanking the LAPD, was saying, essentially, you brought the wrong kid. This is not my kid. 
Yeah, so he starts gaslighting right out of the gate mm-hmm. uh, in the room saying, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, mom, you're just not recognizing your son. He's been away for five months. Uh, he's acting weird. And in the movie, it's hysterical because I guess it was a directorial decision to have the boy be sort of stilted because, you know, he's not the real son. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, he's just like, hello, I am Walter. And you are right. my mother, and I and I would like to hug you now. Basically, yeah, <laughs> it was really pretty bad. Yeah, uh, but maybe that was the point. Um, but anyway, they he starts gaslighting her, saying no, he's changed, he's lost some weight, uh, he's going to re- return to normal. And uh, what was the the classic line was try the boy out, <laughs> just take him home and try him out for a little while, maybe you know see if you like him, maybe he'll fit. Um, but yeah, that set off this, like like you said, you know, campaign of gaslighting that Christine was clearly, you know, distressed, fraught, um, was still recovering from the shock, and that Walter had changed in some ways out on this five months that he endured, at, having God knows what, you know, in, being involved in God knows what, and that those two things put together were making her think <clears throat> that that this wasn't her kid. And there's, um, she finally relents actually, and Dave tries to tries to kind of guess at what what it was, and I think he kind of paints a really good picture of you know the the pressure from the police, the press there taking photographs, sure. everybody wanting this to be a happy occasion, a little boy looking up at her, I'm sure wanting this kid to be her little boy, but also being yeah. repelled by the idea that that you know she's going to take some other kid as her boy. She did. She did relent there at the juvenile detention center and basically agreed to take the strange kid home with her. Uh, she agreed to try him out. And there's a photo of uh, Christine Collins with this boy um, that's pretty famous. You can find it very easily. I think if you just type in Christine Collins um, and you see her face, uh, the expression on her face, and you know the backstory, yeah. it's one of the most heartbreaking photos you'll ever see. Oh, yeah. When you know the full story, it's it's awful because you can see all of these thoughts that are in her mind like and just the 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 just the terrible everything that she's going through just right there on her face but she's also trying to smile in a way too and that little boy is just beaming grinning from ear to ear it's a really weird juxtaposition yeah it's very distressing to look at uh and the gaslighting continued with the psychologists uh later and the doctors who had examined the boy uh, psychology in 19, I mean, feel what you feel about it now, but 1928, you know, <laughs> they they basically said, and this is a quote, he has certain aisles of memory that are apparently blank, and uh, then went on to say, you know, he, he doesn't remember any of the toys he played with, and he doesn't remember any of the people from before, uh, his neighbors and stuff, or any of his classmates, but this will all pass, and and he's your son, and he'll be he'll be normal pretty soon. Yeah, and she knows it's not her kid. Like that's what's so maddening, is that it's a parent and their child. Right. Yeah. So imagine like being in that position where everyone is telling you like, no, you're wrong. Not just this one police captain, but the people the police captain has basically hired and recruited to come back his his point in the LAPD's position up that you're wrong. This is your kid. Stop stop being a weirdo. And just accept this kid. And also, and um, the movie really does a good job of hitting this uh, several times. 
if the, if the LAPD thinks that they brought Walter back and that's their position, they're not out looking for Walter. So therefore, yeah. who who knows where Walter is? And like, just more and more time is being wasted while they're not looking for Walter because they're saying this kid is Walter, even yeah. though she knows that this is not Walter. So that I I just I I can't imagine having been in that position yeah. and just the. You know, just when you're stressed out about normal stuff, like work stuff or whatever, yeah. like that, the tension you can have in your in your shoulders around your neck and like just how your face can just feel weird sometimes and you're, you can get headaches and stuff like that. Imagine having that starting to creep up and develop and compound because that's your situation. And then having no framework, no guidelines, no nothing to help you say, oh, well, when this happens, when somebody says that a kid that's not your kid is your kid, this is what society is prescribed for you to do to kind of as a release or an outlet, having nothing like that and having to figure out what to do on your own. I cannot imagine the turmoil that uh, Christine Collins went through just from this part. All right. I think we should take a break. That was a nice robust first act. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. And we'll come back and talk a little bit about what happened when she got this boy home right after this. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, everybody, if you're building a deck at work and you want to supercharge it, check out Canva presentations. Work docs have been the same for too long, but Canva docs are different. They're visual. They grab readers' attention with images, charts, tables, and videos playable right in the doc. Plus, docs don't have to be just words on a page. You can make your docs pop with Canva docs. 
That's right. And Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, HR, ops, marketing, and more, Canva presentations can be the solution for you. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Canva presentations might be the most visually impressive presentations you'll ever use. Start with a stunning template, use it as a springboard for your design, adding images, graphics, charts, data visualizations, all from a massive media library. It's super easy to wow any audience with Canva presentations. So start designing today at canva.com, designed for work. That's C-A-N-V-A dot com. All right, so Christine Collins has uh, fake Walter Collins back at her house, <laughs> and she uh, and this is one of those things where it was a scene in the movie that I looked up and I did see another article that mentioned this, but I couldn't tell if it was taken from the movie or not because I didn't find it elsewhere. But one of the big giveaways <laughs> to her was uh, when she was bathing the boy that he was uh, circumcised, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find out if that was really the case. Um, which is frustrating, but in the movie, you know, when she tells this to the officer, to, to uh, what's his name, Jones? Mm-hmm. Burn uh, notice. He basically says, you know, the, it's amazing what people might do to a kid. Like, basically gaslighting further, saying like, well, he was circumcised while he was, after he was abducted during right. those five months. Right. But I don't know if that's true or not, and that's really frustrating. What I do know is that she knew it was a charade. Uh, she got dental records. She went to his teachers and like everyone, you know, these teachers who spent every day with them during the school year were like, no, this isn't Walter, obviously. Yeah. So she got people who were, who were not only willing to back her up, but were like, we're willing to testify to this. Here's this kid's dental records. Here's Walter's dental records. Apparently Walter had fillings and this kid had never seen a dentist before I saw somewhere. Um, and, she went back after, I think, three weeks of trying to make this work. Ugh. Three weeks. She went back to um, Captain Jones and said, here's his dental records. Here are all these people who say, no, this is not Walter. And Captain Jones had a very um, unpleasant response to that, to being challenged by mm-hmm. this again, this thing that he had decided was settled. Um, he basically charged her with being a terrible mother. He said, um, you are the most cruel-hearted woman I've ever known, S- accused her of trying to shirk her, her motherly duties um, and to get the state, basically, to raise her kid uh, as if she didn't want her, her son anymore. So now she'd seen a, a chance to kind of pawn him off. Um, and as she persisted during, I guess, this conversation, um, he, he, I guess, brought the hammer down. He, like, played an even harder card than continuing gaslighting. He had her committed to the state hospital against her will. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that deal where, like, you get caught in a lie, so you just keep lying. Mm -hmm. Like, the LAPD already looked bad. They all of a sudden looked pretty good with this case. But if it came out that they gave, purposely gave her the wrong kid, like... (laughs) What that would do to the LAPD's reputation, he was desperate and just dug himself into a pit and had her, like you said, had her committed using what's called a Code 12, Mm -hmm. uh, which means that you are a dangerously disturbed, uh, a dangerously disturbed criminal. And she was none of these things. And they they sent her away. And this was at a time when you could do that 
and sneak her out the back door, and no one knows anything happened, basically. Yeah. So she spent, I believe, six full days in um, in this, this psychiatric unit at the L.A. County um, Hospital. Um, again, against her will. She was medicated there. She was uh, held there. She was put in a room with, um, she had to share a room with a woman who she said she could feel her hands around her throat every time she dozed. Um, uh, who, by the way, Chuck, if you noticed in the movie, that that roommate at the uh, mental hospital was played by Dale Dickey, who is also in Mila's movie, No Exit. Oh, wow. So, um, it really is. So, uh, and she's actually just a really... Like, she's one of those character actors you've seen a bunch of different times, but never paid attention to, really. Like, she's in Winner's Bone. Um, Good movie. She plays a pretty pretty prominent role in that at, at the end. Anyway, um, she plays uh, um, uh, Angelina Jolie's roommate in there to great effect. But um, she spent—so the real Christine Collins spent six days in this hospital against her will. And it's not entirely certain— well, I guess it is certain she would have gotten out because at the end of six days, a psychiatrist finally got a chance to see her and said, um, you're totally sane, you can go. Uh, but in that six days, this whole story took an even more incredible twist. Yeah, and just quickly, like if you've seen the movie, I'm guessing that that sort of evil doctor was a movie addition. Yes. Because uh, I think they probably needed like a nurse ratchet type in there. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that was a real person. No, and not only did they have the evil doctor, they had a nurse ratchet, and then a nurse ratchet's assistant. Like, he just threw everything. It was just really ham-fisted, that Nurse whole. ratchet was Ricky Lindholm, which is weird. Who is that? She's a comedic actor, so it was strange to see her in this role as, like, an evil nurse. Oh, really? Okay. And then I don't know if you noticed also, but Michael Scott's girlfriend, Holly Flax, plays a sex worker um, who ends up befriending Angelina Jolie in the mental hospital. Did I notice? Amy Ryan, I notice her in everything. Okay, great. Did you like her in Only Murders in the Building? I I did. I liked her. I like Amy Ryan in everything. She's one of my favorite actors. She's great. And I really love that show, by the way. Yep. And not because they have sponsored the show. (laughs) Oh, have they? Yeah, they were, or maybe that's coming down the pike, but they asked, they were like, uh, they're going to come on as a sponsor. And I was like, great, I love that show. Oh, yay. Well, nobody asked me, but I'm on board too. They did ask you. You approved it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. I do remember. I do remember. Okay, you're right. All right, so you were talking about things getting really crazy. Uh, They had managed to keep this quiet, that she was falsely arrested and basically stuck in uh, a, a mental hospital. Uh, that did not get out. She got out. She went home. Uh, Walter, at this point, fake Walter, is kept in juvie as a ward of the state. And there was another kid in juvie, a 15-year-old named Sanford Clark, who had quite a story to share. Isn't that right? Yeah. So Sanford Clark is the nephew of a guy named uh, Gordon Stewart Northcott. And um, Samford says uh, he wants to speak to the cops because he wants to say that he has been forced to participate in the murder of a number of little boys. Mm -hmm. And that one of those little boys was the boy who was in all the newspapers, Walter Collins. So you can just like, if I guess they had gramophones back then. So you just hear the needle scratch on the gramophone at this point. (laughs) 
Right. So at this point in the story, the evil uh, police captain Jones is put on that murder case, and he's in a position where he's on this new case. This boy says that Walter Collins was murdered, but he had just, you know, stuck Christine Collins in a mental ward for a week. So he starts lying even more and told reporters that Christine Collins just told me a day before that she didn't think Walter was her son, that it was a fake Walter when it was actually a week earlier. And so he was just, again, just digging holes here with these lies. And they also said, the reporter said, sir, sir, okay, where's, where is Christine Collins? We want to talk to her. And he's like, oh, well, she's at the county hospital for observation. She obviously had, you know, uh, she took it really hard when she heard that her, her son had been, you know, was a murder victim. So yesterday. We, we put her in there yesterday. Yeah. And she'd already been in there for six days. So um, the, the question was raised just immediately. If Walter Collins was was killed um, by uh, Gordon uh, Northcott and with an assist by his nephew Sanford Clark, um, who was this little kid who was saying he was Walter Collins and everybody else was saying yes, he's Walter Collins? And that was a pretty interesting story in and of itself. For sure. Why don't we take a break and we'll let oh, everyone know? <laughs> you're so mean. Who fake Walter is right after this. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Hey everybody, if you're building a deck at work and you want to supercharge it, check out Canva presentations. Work docs have been the same for too long, but Canva docs are different. They're visual. They grab readers' attention with images, charts, tables, and videos playable right in the doc. Plus, docs don't have to be just words on a page. You can make your docs pop with Canva docs. That's right. And Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department, whether you work in sales, HR, ops, marketing, and more. Canva presentations can be the solution for you. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Canva presentations might be the most visually impressive presentations you'll ever use. Start with a stunning template, use it as a springboard for your design, adding images, graphics, charts, data visualizations, all from a massive media library. It's super easy to wow any audience with Canva presentations. So start designing today at canva.com, designed for work. That's C-A-N-V-A.com. Lay it on us. Fake Walter Chuck was, drum roll please, <laughs> Arthur Hutchins Jr. And that was a Michael Scott reference joke. It, yeah, it was. Uh, so here was Arthur's story. In June of 1928, uh, which is the summer before the disappearance of uh, Walter, Arthur ran away from home in Illinois. Uh, he had a, a bad stepmom. He had a dad that wouldn't do anything about it, uh, just not a good home situation. And he was a, you know, it was the time in America when a 12-year-old was also a, like a full-grown adult that they wanted to be. Yeah. So he kind of took off on the road. He worked jobs. He hitchhiked. And it gets a little dodgy about what exactly happened. Uh, in the movie, he basically levied a charge against the police saying, like, this was their idea. Mm-hmm. Like, they kind of picked me up and told me to pretend I was this kid. Uh, other people say that he hatched the plan. He always wanted to go to L.A. to meet uh, Tom Mix, the the cowboy movie star, uh, silent era movie star. Mm-hmm. So, like, he saw this kid was missing, so he hatched the idea himself. Uh, other people say that they picked him up in DeKalb, Illinois. The police did. And when they were um, talking to him, might have mentioned Walter, and the kid had the idea from there. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, this kid saw his chance for a free one-way ticket to Hollywood and his cowboy hero, Tom Mix, and he took it. Um, he he styled himself, we should say, as a boy adventurer. Mm-hmm. So that was like kind of the mindset this kid had. Totally lost on him from, you know, what I can tell, the the gravity of what he was doing to Christine Collins, the oh, fraud sure. that, that he was perpetrating. He knew he was perpetrating a fraud, but to, it, it it seems like he considered it harmless, and it wasn't until it was pointed out, like, do you understand what you've done to this this poor woman, that that he was like, yeah, I guess I owe her an apology or something like that. It just didn't occur to him. Um, however you want to characterize it, he was a bad kid or thoughtless or careless or whatever. But um, he finally gets, he finally confesses. And apparently he put up a fight, too, that it wasn't until they had... Um, uh, proof that his handwriting didn't match Walter's, that they finally, and the cops, by the way, finally said, you're not Walter, kid. You make different R's here. Apparently, the way that he wrote R's was in a way that was taught in Illinois, but you couldn't find that kind of R teaching anywhere in California. The old Illinois R. 
That's right. They had him dead to rights. And he finally confesses and tells him all this, that he's he's uh, little Arthur Hutchins Jr. So he gets reunited with his family. Um, but then that leaves us back at square one. Walter's yeah. still missing. And then now there's Sanford Clark who is saying that Walter's actually not missing. Walter's dead because my uncle and I, at, uh, against my will, killed Walter among some other boys. And that's where we're at with Christine. Yeah, I mean, the story of Sanford Clark is equally sad. He yeah. he did participate in these crimes, but he was uh, he was there getting sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused, was told that he would be killed if he didn't help out. So this is a kid who... Uh, who who didn't know what he was doing and, and forced into doing these things. He's also a victim here. So at this point in the story, it could have been the end. Like Christine could have said, my son is dead. The boy, fake Walter, is gone back to his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a woman. It's 1928. What recourse do I have? But to her credit, she stood strong and said, no, I'm not taking this. Uh, not only am I not convinced that Walter's dead, but that aside, uh, I need to tell, I need to expose my treatment and I need to expose Captain Jones and the LAPD. And so I'm going to come forward with this information. Yeah, which well, she did. So remember, like by this time, the, the press had no idea what had happened to her. And she just dropped this, this truth bomb on them saying, so the LAPD heard from me for a long time that this was not my kid and not only told me it was, they institutionalized me against my will, told the press her story um, with the help of uh, apparently local women's leagues took up her cause. And then so did uh, Reverend Gustav uh, Brigleb, who's played by Malkovich, Malkovich, yeah. Malkovich, Malkovich <laughs> in, the, in the movie. I think he got um, involved way earlier in the movie than he did in real life. Yeah, yeah. But he helped publicize her. He was an anti-LAPD corruption crusader. Yes. Um, and this is a great example of the corruption and incompetence of the LAPD. Um, and he helped take up her story and publicize it. But um, she probably thought that was going to be enough because the uh, county convened a grand jury and they heard her testimony and they didn't even bother calling Captain Jones to testify. They just basically gave her a chance to tell her story and then hoped that it would go away. And they demonstrated that they hoped it would go away because they referred the matter to the police commission to handle itself. That's right. And the commission said no disciplinary action against Captain Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arthur Hutchins fooled everybody. Um and Dave points out, like, yeah, except for mom, who was right. screaming the whole time that this is not my kid. Right. So that was such a flimsy argument to to not do anything to Captain Jones. And this could have been the end of the story. And Christine Jones was met with another brick wall. But no, she said, uh-uh, I'm going to hire a lawyer and I'm going to sue the LAPD and Captain Jones for false imprisonment. It made all the news. Uh, sued for a half a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, the Reverend in the Women's League uh, got, you know, press going and got everyone whipped up into a frenzy about it and got a lot of support. And the L.A. County opened up a grand jury investigation. Again. And the City Council Welfare Committee recommended that uh, Jones and Police Chief resign. Uh, that didn't happen. He ended up getting a four-month suspension without pay. And uh, the civil suit did make it to court, 
and she won, but uh, was never paid a dime, which is what happens in a lot of cases. Yeah, and she kept she she kept doggedly pursuing uh, Captain Jones for decades. She would drag him to court every once in a while and um, have a judge say, you have to pay her. And Captain Jones would be like, I don't have any money. Can't get blood from a stone. Sorry. And she, she, yeah, she never got a penny out of him, uh, despite being owed a, a, about 180 grand in today's money, $10,800 back then, which is just so infuriating. But at the very least, she was like, okay, if you're not going to pay me, I'm not, I'm just not going to drop it at least. I'm still going to drag you to court whenever I can to, to make you have to talk about this again. Um, and so, uh, uh, apparently, Christine, like you said, she did not believe, I don't even want to say apparently, she definitely did not believe that Walter was killed um, by Gordon Stewart Northcott. And Gordon Stewart Northcott turned out to be a serial murderer, and his murders are called the Wineville Chicken Coop murders, because apparently the actual murders took place with an axe in the chicken coop on this remote ranch about an hour uh, east of Los Angeles. Um, and Sanford Clark was there. But also, too, and this isn't portrayed in the movie, Gordon's mother, Sarah Louise Northcott, was also an active participant in all this, too. Mm-hmm. Which makes the whole thing about 100 million times more horrific than it would have been had she not been involved, frankly. Yeah, now it's like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre family uh, living out in the sticks. At the time, it was the sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, east of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, like everything else down in the Southland, it's just one continuous suburb. <laughs> Back then, it was just farmland. And uh, these, you know, he could have murdered up to 20 kids. We'll talk a little bit more about the case. But um, he sexually abused these boys. He kept them in the chicken coop. Um, he originally lived not too far from the Collinses. And what started here was this weird game between uh, Northcutt, his mom, and um, and Christine of him telling her, like, he's dead. They've been him saying, I didn't kill him. And then him saying, well, I did kill him. And then him saying, no, I didn't. And then the mom saying, well, no, I killed him. And then the mom saying, no, I didn't. And I just can't imagine after all Christine Collins has been through, like, how upsetting it was to go through this emotional roller coaster still yeah. of them ad- admitting and then recanting their murder. Yeah, and even worse than that, Gordon Northcott um, represented himself in court, and he uh, called Christine uh, Collins as a car- as a defense witness and said, um, put her on the stand and said, "Do you think I killed?" your son. And she was like, no, actually, I don't. And she produced a piece of evidence that had been left out of the papers that a few days after um, Walter went missing, someone threw a rock through her window and on the rock or attached to the rock, it's not clear to me, um, something said, uh, boy, bad, sick, afraid to call doctor. And to her, that meant that somebody had abducted Walter, but it just wasn't Gordon Northcott. Yeah, that's a I still don't know what to make of that one. I don't either. But what Christine made of it is that Gordon Northcott did not kill her boy, that he mm-hmm. had been abducted by somebody else, and that to her, he was still out there. And she was so either convinced of this or wanted to believe it so badly that she went on to the stand, to this 
serial murderer's trial and acted as a witness in his defense. Um, and in the end, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, Gordon Northcott was convicted of killing a handful of boys, multiple boys, but it's, I think you said before, Sanford Clark said that maybe as many as 20 boys yeah, had been killed con- out there. I think he was convicted of four, and the mom was convicted of killing Walter specifically. Yeah. But yeah, the boy said that, you know, there's uh, 20 bodies buried, uh, which wasn't exactly true because they burned a lot of the bodies. Uh, there ended up being bones and evidence, though. There was enough. Like, they found letters written by two of the boys that he was accused of murdering um, that was written by them to their parents that were n- that never went, um, that were never sent. Um but they they um, they they got enough of uh, evidence at least against Gordon to convict him, and then apparently it was all circumstantial against his mother. But she was convicted anyway, mm-hmm. and so Gordon was sentenced to hang. His mother was sentenced to life in prison, and a couple of days before he um, was executed, Gordon sent a telegram to Christine Collins and said, um, "I lied about." Uh, not killing your boy, if you'll come visit me in prison before I'm executed, I'll tell you the truth. Okay. So remember, she thinks she's testified at his trial that he didn't do it, that this terrible person had not killed her son. And now he sent her a telegram two days before he died saying he did. So of course, she goes to San Quentin, meets with him, and he says, I don't want to meet with you. Um, I didn't have anything to do with your boy. Go away. Yeah. I mean... Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I just can't imagine her mental state at this point of being jerked around by the cops for all that time and now mm-hmm. being jerked around by this guy on death row. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, I don't know if he was just sick and like toying with her or that sort of prisoner thing. I feel like I've seen this in movies before mm-hmm. where they do something like this just to like have one last meeting with somebody before they die that isn't a prison guard. Everybody loves a good meeting. But he was hanged right in front of her face, apparently. Yeah, she stuck around. I guess the warden was like, he did what to you? Listen, if you want to stick around and witness his death, do. And apparently she did, not out of vengeance necessarily, but um, because she was she was hoping that at, the, at some point before yeah. he died, he would tell her the truth or tell her something, and he didn't. He went like a schmo, because he was a schmo. He was a terrible, child-murdering schmo. Um... And so Gordon Northcott is executed, and these these Wineville chicken coop murders are so notorious and so disgusting, um, as child murders tend to be, that the the town changed its name a couple months after Gordon Northcott was executed to Miraloma. It's what it's called today. Yeah, like uh, just drive east from Los Angeles, you'll hit it. They didn't like that name anymore. <laughs> no. Change the name. Uh, here's where the, what you miss at the end of the movie. And I think this is created out of whole cloth to give everyone like a good feeling in their tum-tums, uh-huh. uh, in the movie version. And if you don't want to hear this, you stop listening right now. I'll give <laughs> you plenty I? of warning. Okay. Uh, so this part we know is true. Uh, it was how many months later did another boy show up that said that he had escaped from, uh, I heard, I heard five years. Oh, was it five years later? Mm-hmm. All right, so in the movie, they, they squashed that down. So that's obviously license, uh, dramatic license. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the true story is that this boy just said that he had been a, a kidnapping victim of Northcutt, but got out. Isn't that right? Wasn't that kind of the end of it? 
I don't know. I saw that that a kid uh, had been who had who Northcutt had been accused of killing mm-hmm. uh, turned up safe and sound five years later. So and that, that gave that, her hope. Yeah, that gave her hope for the rest of her life. She died in I think 1964, and apparently was looking for Walter the whole time. So in the movie version. And this is clearly dramatic license. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story the boy tells is that there was a late night escape uh, after they dislodged the wire of the chicken coop and that he had gotten stuck and that Walter had had already run away and came back and saved him. And if it hadn't been for Walter, he never would have gotten out of there. <laughs> so in the movie version, they obviously felt the need, uh, old Clint felt the need to paint Walter, whoever the screenwriter was, to mm-hmm. uh, as, as a hero in the end who gave his life. To, to help this other boy get saved. Yeah. Which, like, you don't even need to do that. It was so aggravating. No, it really is. The writer's like, how am I going to get out of this? Ugh. So that's it. Uh, one little footnote of this, if you didn't think Christine Collins had it hard enough, um, this whole time at the peak of this stuff, at the at some of the worst parts of it, um, her husband, remember, is in prison the whole time. And so she's petitioning the parole board and actually has friends. There's record of a friend writing the parole board talking about what a terrible state Christine is in and won't you please let her husband out so at the very least he can go to work to support her because she can't work anymore. Um, And the parole board wrote back in the movie version and said, we're sorry, but Walter Collins died in prison in 1932. Very interesting and sad. So, you got anything else about the sad story of Christine and Walter Collins? No, it is. Uh, boy, it's a lesson in, in uh, hard lesson in gaslighting and and what still happens, but what definitely used to happen a lot more back then. Yeah, heavy stuff, man. Uh, well, since Chuck said it used to happen a lot more back then, followed by heavy stuff, as everyone who listens to the podcast knows, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this rewilding follow up. Uh, hey guys. Long-time listener, uh, really interesting episode on rewilding. I'm glad you got the point across that the end goal is to let nature do its thing, but the humans have messed things up so much in places that sometimes we need to give it a little helping hand mm-hmm. to help it along its way before stepping back and giving it space. Right. Uh, you mentioned that we tend to be very short time frame focused, but there is a distinction between cultures. Uh, many indigenous cultures have a mindset that focuses on much longer time frames with specific practices in place for thinking of future generations. Uh, I believe one is to think about things for seven generations' time. Wow. Uh, Getting indigenous cultures involved in projects and stewardship of the land serves to gain wisdom from cultures that have been living harmoniously with nature for generations, plus brings in the mindset of thinking for generations to come, uh, not even mentioning the ethical reasons for involving them. Uh, That is from Paul. uh, (laughs) With the question mark? (laughs) No, that is from Paul, who is the uh, chief technology officer at Mossy Earth, Neat. Uh, helping to rewild our planet. So, wow! Uh, go to the Mossy Earth website and check it out. See what they're up to. Yeah, but I mean, we got one from like a legit insider. That's great. I think so, and that is uh, Mossy dot Earth. Cool. How do you get a dot Earth website? Uh, you pay through the wazoo. Use a lot of <laughs> donations. I want to be Josh and Chuck dot Earth. Yeah, that'd be good. I was thinking Josh and Chuck dot biz, but sure, that one works too. How about dot earth biz? <laughs> so thanks a lot, Paul. We Paul. really appreciate you uh, you writing to us. And if you want to be like Paul, 
you can send us an email to stuffpodcast. Man, I'm going to get it after we're done at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.